Veronica has her sword, Tom has his laser, and I have my mind. And a mind needs books and this podcast as a sword needs a whetstone if it's to keep its edge. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to pledge support and sharpen your mind. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Murray. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And this is a week in which we are drinking. Yes, we are drinking. Uh, Tom, what are you drinking? I'm having Armagnac. What's that? It's a brandy. Brandy? Like, <laughs> yes, like cognac, except from the Armagnac region. And... um. I got fancy, super fancy, and I, I fancy. decanted my Ooh. Armagnac into a decanter. Uh, it's, it's a nice, it's meant for things like wine or brandies. It's this nice big round bottom and looks lovely. Uh, it's fun to pour from, except I threw away the bottle. <laughs> so I have no idea what Armagnac this is. Oh, it's just been de- decanting this whole time? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, been in the decanter. So um, yeah. It's good Armagnac. That's what I'm going to call it. Perfect. I'm drinking a pretty standard white Russian. Mm. I think it's a white Russian. Don't actually remember how to make a white Russian. So I just poured <laughs> some milk into Bailey's and said that was a white Russian. Is that, is that even close? Bailey's is Irish. Not even close? How could that be a white Russian? Well, <laughs> you might be right. In I just, it just struck me as funny that. That a white Russian would be made mostly of Irish liquor. <laughs> Are you looking it up for me? Uh, vodka, coffee, liqueur, and cream. Mm. Okay. So no, I was not on. I was not correct at all. Um, this is an I'm Irish Russian. I'm happy with what I made. <laughs> I'm happy with what I'm drinking. I knew there was like a hard alcohol in there. I knew it wasn't all like the like You got to have vodka stuff. for it to be Russian. Okay. <laughs> so. You know. It makes so much sense now when you put it that way. It's an Irish cow. That's what you're drinking. <laughs> How dare you call me that? <laughs> no, not you. How dare you? The drink. The drink only. It's funny because it's true. An Irish Bessie. An old Irish Bessie. <laughs> so are you going to leave it as white Russian in our show notes? Or, <laughs> and just No, change it to Irish Bessie. Irish Bessie. Okay. And I invented a drink. Yeah. There's probably, I think Bailey's and milk is a thing already. Oh, yeah. It's probably got a name. You're absolutely it's, right. It probably has a name, but this is the name I'm giving it. That's, that's don't, the name. I don't even look it up. I don't even want to know. It's, yeah. um, hmm. it's it called a Bailey's and milk. So it needed a name. Oh, good. Oh, it needed no, a some name. Some people call it a Bailey's white Russian. So ha, you're, not, ha. you're not far off, except you have to actually add vodka to it also. Still. Oh, all so right. if you put vodka so, in what you're drinking now, then it's an Irish white Russian. And if you don't put vodka in it, because yuck, it's an Irish Bessie. <laughs> it's an Irish white Russian. Hold the Russian. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump into the quick burns. We got a lot of them, too. Uh, Dara says instructions on how to vote for the Hugos can be found here at Dublin2019.com. Thank you, Dara. Check your email for individual links for online nominating. Voting ends Friday the 15th of March, 2019 at 11.59 Pacific time. So 
Uh, if you want to denominate anything, books, novels, novellas, podcasts, fan casts, <laughs> head on over to Dublin2019.com. Uh, we'll have the full link to get there in the show notes. I'm embarrassed or maybe hopeful to say that I'm already turning down speaking engagements in August because I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm going to get nominated, so I should really hold that week open. We should just go anyway, right? Well, I submitted all my speaker stuff and I haven't heard anything yet. No, but you wouldn't have. I haven't heard anything either, so. Okay. They they so, don't give you that stuff until really close to time. I know, which is which is sucky because they just then assume you, you're going to go. Okay. All right. It's just really far and expensive. So, and work and time off. Ireland. And you know, Ireland. I can't wait. I really, I'll drink all the Irish besties exactly. I can drink. <laughs> the birthplace of the Irish besties. <laughs> they just call it a Bessie there. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Dara also uh, has been putting posts in our quick burns uh, with fake endorsements from authors, which are hilarious. <laughs> All right, here we go. John Scalzi says, you want me to support the Sword and Laser podcast for best fan casts? You guys have read three of my books, so I guess I have to. <laughs> Sam Sykes says, buy my book. Mike Cole says, don't buy his book, buy my book. Mary Robinette Cole says, you've read three Scalzi books, but none of mine? No thanks. Not Update sure anymore, Mary Robinette Cole. Update on that one later. <laughs> Fonda Lee says, I get it. You love Jade City. Please stop bothering me. I'm going to block you. Uh, of course, all of these are fake. None of these authors actually said any of this stuff, but they're really hilarious. Um, thank you uh, for entertaining us, Dara Dara. You're the best. Always, always. And of course, thank you to the Robinator for keeping everything up to date. Marsh Madness is upon us. It is time to get your nominees in. You can nominate books for the tournament next month in our Goodreads form until the 8th of... February? No, 8 p.m. Eastern, February okay. 25th. It just uh, <laughs> keep nominating. It's not until it's until February 25th. Until 8 p.m. Eastern, February 25th. That's 5 p.m. Pacific. Mm. And uh, there's already some great selections up there. Um, so head over to Goodreads. It's it's all laid out. Rob put all the rules up as usual. So make sure you read through those. If you're make new sure you to March Madness, uh, mm -hmm. basically what we do is throughout the month of February, we'll take these nominations. Rob will keep track of them, tell us which ones got multiple nominations. Then Veronica and I will decide which which teams, which books get in the tournament. Uh, so it's not based strictly on the number of nominations because we like to mix it up. And in fact, mm -hmm. some books that we've given a chance, even though they only had one nomination, have gone very far in the tournament. And then in March, every week, you'll vote on matchups between two books and the winner of those matchups will go on against other books the week after tournament style until at the very end, we have one book that will be our April read. One book to rule them all. Mm. Until next year. That's right. All right, let's do a bit of a speed round because okay, we've got a yeah, lot of we... quick burns coming up. So if you want to go through and read through all these stories, head over to the quick burns thread over in Goodreads. But in the meantime, here's the headlines. Dara says the Wheel of Time TV series will go into production in the fall of 2019. Tor has all the details. Uh, Seth says this year's American Library Association Midwinter Conference just wrapped up. And in addition to their more famous awards for youth titles, the Newberry, the Caldecott, they also make adult picks in a number of genres. Their pick of 2018's crop of sci-fi 
is next month's, or this month's by now, Sword and Laser pick, The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cole. On the fantasy side, they chose Foundry Side by Robert Jackson Bennett. And we'll have a link to the ALA.org uh, thread with all the winners. I think I'm going to stick Foundry Side in the brackets, even if it doesn't get nominated, because I really want to read that one. You could just nominate it. Because I have the power to do that. just stack the deck. (laughs) Uh, Anne says, Tor is now offering a newsletter with short fiction on a bi-monthly basis, which seems like a nice way to get SFF stories delivered straight to your inbox. More information over on the Tor blog. Yeah, and the first one has come out uh, since Anne posted that first one, and she posted a link to that in the Quick Burns if you want to take a look at that as well. Aaron noted that Clark's World magazine is expanding into books with a new translation of A Hundred Ghosts Parade Tonight and Other Stories by Sia Gia. Sia Gia, first English language short story collection and the debut book from Clark's World Books. Awesome. Mark says an excerpt of the deleted novella from The Wheel of Time, A Fire Within the Ways, is on Tor's website now. This will be included in the Unfettered 3 collection out in March. Joe says the Locus recommended reading list has been published online. It's also in the February issue of Locus magazine. Uh, Joe says, I don't think this is an original idea, but I've long considered the Locus recommended list to be one of the best snapshots of what is going on in the genre in a given year. It's certainly not exhaustive. There's always going to be favorites left off the list. Scalzi didn't make it for either of his books. The newest Final Sin Du Jour novella from Matt Wallace didn't make it. Only one of Mary Robinette Cole's Lady Astronaut novels are on the list, Calculating Stars. But from a high level, these are most of the important and noteworthy Mm. science fiction and fantasy books and stories from the previous year. LocusMag.com. Fascinating. Aaron says, there is a new J.R.R. Tolkien biopic set to release May 10th, 2019. This I can't wait for. I've, you know, we get we get to see so much of Tolkien's worth turned into things. Mm-hmm. It'll be lovely to see a take on his early life. And C.S. Lewis is not uh, in the IMDb for this. So it looks like it's going to focus on his early life or, as I like to think of it, part one. And maybe we'll get like <laughs> Tolkien part two. All right. The return of the Tolkien. The return of the Tolkien. Tolkien back. Uh, Mark says from Locus. Come on, that was a really, that was a really good pun. It was. It was. It was so good. I didn't want to ruin it by calling attention to it. Like, okay. Uh, Mark said from Locus, the announcement for the Crawford Award uh, is The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. The Crawford Award is given to a fantasy author whose first fantasy book was published during the preceding 18 months. It's one of several awards presented by the International Association for the Fantastic in the Arts and is presented at the conference each March in Fort Lauderdale. Excellent. Rob says The Expanse Season 3 goes worldwide on Amazon Prime February 8th. Additionally, Seasons 1 and 2 will now be on Prime everywhere. Previously, it was just North America. Also, tell us when 4 is coming. I know it's coming this year, but... He's like literally shaking. I can see him. He was like Uh, clenching his little arms. Shaking! Little? Like that. It looked a little on the tiny screen that you're in right now. Shaking my tiny fist. Uh, (laughs) Anne says there's an interesting article on Wired about how women were actively written out of sci-fi history by omitting their contributions from anthologies. It sort of sets the idea on the head that women had to write under pseudonyms and were kept out of the industry. Uh, This posits that really they were just kept out of anthologies and forgotten because of that. There's a podcast episode about it too, uh, though Anne says I haven't gotten around to listening to it yet. Nokomis.fl says a new Robert Heinlein novel to be published in November 2019 from a manuscript written in the early 1980s. Fascinating. No, and what's fascinating about this is 
it's partly the same novel that was published, but ha- at at a part of the story, it disappears. It's the number of the beast, mm-hmm. but at a certain point, it diverges from the number of the beast text that was published. And the number of the beast is about parallel worlds. So you could look at it as sort of like a parallel version of the story number of the beast. It's tentatively titled 666. That's written out in letters, not numerically. Alternate from number of the beast. Right. Number of the beast. And then finally, more lists from the House of Random Penguins, the best sci fi books of all time, and the best fantasy novels of all time. Uh, Should I be suspicious that these lists are on a publisher website, even though they are the best of all time? Although there are lots of sword and laser picks, maybe there is a future sword and laser pick. And Shad notes, this does seem to be the best books of all time from random house-owned publishers. Mm. Uh, I didn't Mm -hmm. do an exhaustive look, but the few that I sampled were all from publishers owned by Random House. So that's fine. Just be transparent about it, Random House. We don't mind if you're like, hey, we have some of the best sci-fi books of all time in our publishing empire that that's cool it's a good list either way well i'm happy we got to talk about them because i was starting to feel like we were the tour podcast there for a few minutes in the beginning of the show but yeah, we evened things out a lot of, tour, a lot of tour news all right well now it is time for barrier sword which is our feedback from the audience and I selected this uh, little tweet here because I thought it was very nice. Uh, we've been having some wild weather here in North America mm. in these these United States. And Yaniv says that while it's raining like crazy outside, nothing like a good book and a fireplace. Mm. He's got a picture of a roaring fireplace and a copy of The Calculating Stars. Looks very comfortable. Now. And some, and some hold on, hold uh-huh. on. Uh-huh. Are you seeing hold- what I'm seeing here? Thing that I missed on the first uh-huh. look. I just noticed this too. He has some very comfortable looking Ghostbusters pajamas. On. We're assuming it's Yaniv <laughs> in the picture, but whoever's in the picture definitely has some awesome Ghostbusters jammies on. Oh, they're little jammies. Look at those little jammies. <laughs> I'm afraid of no ghost. I am. While I'm reading I am, calculating stars no. by my wonderful roaring fireplace. <laughs> and then uh, Mark MTZ says that there is a poetry slam <laughs> happening over in the Nine Fox Gambit discussion. And uh, I must have missed this conversation as it was happening because I was traveling a lot earlier this week. Um, but I clicked through to find that, yes, uh, I think I think it all started with Trike, as some of these things tend to do, who said Mm-mm. there once was a man from Nantucket who said, calendar heretics can suck it. He invaded her mind and rewound the time till his foes were mopped into buckets. I'm, I'm never going to say I pick favorites, but Matt's contributions in this thread were fantastic uh, because he explained the calendrical system and sort of the, the fictionalized version of it in Nine Fox Gambit in a way that had myself and people in the thread saying, oh, I, I get it now. Uh, Also, Matt is the one who started the poetry slam with a math poem of equations right before Trikes. Okay. Well, I didn't see it. Where is it? It's right above Trikes. The one you just read from Trike was the first one to do a limerick. So, I mean, Trike gets the credit for, for, you know, turning it up, but the, if calendars equal clocks equals time and reality equals space time equals 3d by D four equals mathematics. That's, that's sort of a math poem. Oh, I don't know, Tom. We'll see somebody this doesn't it. rhyme. Uh, How is it a poem if it somebody, doesn't rhyme? It, it, 
not all poems have to rhyme. How? But it's not funny. It's not a limerick. It doesn't have to be a limerick or funny to be. It's a not poem. even a haiku. How is this a poem? It's a it's a math poem. What Matt, is a math poem? Matt, please explain to Veronica. I don't understand. Poem. This made it even harder to understand. <laughs> but also go back, uh, go back up in that thread at some point. It's long. And Matt even points out, he's like, you can imagine how I felt when I realized that the people who are the most confused by the book are probably going to be the same people who skip past my explanation because it's too long. <laughs> well, no, I don't resemble that comment. I, well... I skipped past his explanation, read that comment, and was like, okay, I'm going to go back and read it now. And it's really good. It's a really good comment. Here's a, here's a, here's a poem from Tassie Dave that says, We of the faction Lioge take umbrage at your hideous prose. You're just a hater. Our calendar's greater, and your whole stinking empire just blows. <laughs> All right. Trike and Tassie Dave definitely uh, brought the slam to the poetry. Well done. The, the mic drop, but good job, Matt. That was uh, a Mark, Mark, Matt, Mark, Matt, Matt, Matt was the one who did the poem. Mark was the one who did the tweet. Thank you. All right. And then finally, we have a thread. If you were a high school English teacher, what would be the first book you would make your students read? Hmm. Now, here's the thing. This thread, and I think Bra- right, brought to us by Christos, uh, rightly devolves in, in in some sense, rightly devolves into you should make kids read anything or they won't like it, which I, I think is a fair point. But if I may, on be- on Christos' behalf, say maybe phrased a little loosely, but I don't think Christos was going for let's make them read some stuff that's good for them. I think Christos was trying to get at like what would be a cool book to introduce yes, students to that would get them yeah. excited. Yeah. That's hard. Uh, somebody recommended Douglas Adams. And, and I always think that's a good one for, for high school kids because it's, it, it doesn't hit them over the head with heavy stuff that might make them lose patience. And it's funny. Mm. Well, Melanie says she agrees with Philip who said she wouldn't make them try to read anything, but let's just kind of, play along for a second. And uh, she's a high school English teacher um, and that she lets students choose two books each marking period to read independently and work with the librarian to keep the school's collection up to date and engaging. So in the beginning of the year, it's best to start with shorter fictions to wake students up from their summer slumbers. And of course, it's important to expose students to classics and canon works. For instance, in grade nine, we read The Odyssey and Romeo and Juliet. I also, in grade nine, read both of those. We read Romeo and Juliet. I don't think we read The Odyssey, though. I distinctly remember reading both of those. Hmm. Um, I really liked reading. This was actually for, was it English class or was it? We read Edith Wharton's like mythology books. Was, oh, yeah. No, we read those, too. And I loved those. Yeah. I, I was also taking this to mean genre stuff. Because, oh. again, if you're really teaching an English class, obviously you're going to int- want to introduce classics. Hmm. Maybe something that would be a take on a class or like a take on a Ooh, historical like Cersei? thing. Or, yeah, that'd be a good one. Mm-hmm. That'd be a great one. Mm-hmm. And then you could compare it to the original texts, like the original I mythologies. I wonder if it would be too daunting, though. Why? It would be a good follow-up to mythology. By If you if you read Wharton and then like, okay, you want a better version of Cersei? Check this out. Mm-hmm. I think some kids might look at it as like, oh, you're making me read myth stuff. Yeah. 
Um, John Nevitt says that if we're only talking science fiction or fantasy, I think I'd still stick with some of the mid-century classics of 1984 or Animal Farm. Mm-hmm. And I was actually, 1984 was the first one to kind of pop into my mind as well because yeah. I lived around that age. We uh, Brave New World is another one that I, yes. I in, yeah. in high school. Yeah. Hug me till you drug me, honey. Kiss me till I'm in a coma. Hug me, honey, snuggly bunny. Love's as good as Soma. Nice. Did now you do that for memory just now? Yeah, you're literally looking at me. Well, I, I don't know what's on your screen. <laughs> That's true. Yes, I memorized it like a creepy, like, 13-year-old. Wow. It's Such weird how those, those high school memorization exercises stick in your head. Oh, I didn't, I didn't memorize it because I had to. I memorized oh, it because it I was fun. obsessed with it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's even cooler. Creepier? Cooler, uh, creepier? There's such a fine line between cool and creepy. It's true, especially in high school. Good yeah. point. All right. Well, that's uh, that about wraps it for the quick burns. Thank you for everyone. Ah, sorry, quick burns and barrier sword. So thank you for everyone for submitting our stories every week, every month. We always appreciate you. Um, let's hop a little bit into our book of the month discussion. We already kind of kicked it off, right? No. I no, don't we think didn't we do did. any kickoff. Okay. No. Um, the Calculating Stars then. by Mary Robinette Cole is it's worth becoming a patron and reading the book briefing if you really want to know like how it all unfolded. Uh, but the way it stands now, if you're not worried about how we got here, is there are two books in the Lady Astronaut series, uh, The Calculating Stars and the one that I always want to screw up the name. So I'm going to buy some time while I loaded The Faded Sky, mm-hmm. uh, Calculating Stars and The Faded Sky. Those are the two books. There's a novellette called The Lady Astronaut, which is takes place after The Faded Sky. So it's Calculating mm-hmm. Stars is the beginning of the story. Faded Sky uh, picks up after that. And then The Lady Astronaut is sort of the main character in her 70s, I think, or 80s maybe, um, but near the end of her life. And uh, there is now a new story in between Calculating Stars and The Faded Sky that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got a series kind of being published asynchronously out there, but if you're starting with the calculating stars, like we are, you're getting a complete story beginning to end. Uh, it's not the kind of series where you're going to be left with a cliffhanger. Uh, there, there obviously are things that are going to continue on in the future books, but you do get a complete story that if for some reason you're not captivated by, you can stop reading. And it's about, and, and this is, this all happens very early in the book, a meteor hits earth uh, and causes humanity to decide they need to hurry up and get to Mars uh, so they can survive. Uh, and I, I should have mentioned this off the top. The meteor hits in 1953, I think. Yeah, early, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's early 50s when it hits. So the book is set in the 50s with all the attendant political and social issues of the 50s uh, laid out over this idea that that half the U.S. has been devastated by a meteor because it hits around Washington, D.C. Uh, the government is de- decimated, uh, more than decimated, actually, and moved to Kansas City. And the world has to come together to figure out how to survive because the effects of the meteor threaten possibly to uh, extinguish life on the planet. Right. So the space program has to move very quickly. Right. And so that is the that is kind of the impetus for for all of the the actions uh, within uh, within the story. And of course, you know, she has this background as a wasp, essentially a female uh, f- uh, pilot 
from World War II. Which and is still our World War II because it's pre Which is still our World War II, yeah. right? Before the before the time break. And so um uh she's very well suited for for Elma, rather. Sorry, all of a sudden I got very burpy and it was hard for me to talk. <laughs> I apologize. Ooh, okay, I think I'm okay now. Um but yeah, she's very well suited for being able to, uh, on top of being a an excellent mathematician, a computress, a computer, as they were called. Um, and so, you know, very well suited to become an astronaut. And they actually go into a lot of the reasons why, like the physicality of women and our ability to withstand certain things are actually make us better astronauts in some way, though... Uh, Mary goes off in the in the end of the book to explain that some of that is still kind of theoretical. Um, so yeah, it was it was super. I loved the. Uh, I, I read the book. <laughs> I yeah, finished. The I book. finished it too. Um, and I absolutely loved it. So we I'm won't real spoil, excited to keep talking but, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yet, yet. We have another episode yet. coming next week, so we'll 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 maybe get minor spoilery soon. But um, I mean, the things to know are the wasps are real. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the women air force service pilots, uh, many of them still alive. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to this up just now, but Lorraine Rogers is 98 years old. Uh, looks like there's a half dozen of these, that these, uh, women that are, are still alive. And if you're thinking like, okay, this sounds a little idealized, like a meteor hits and everybody pulls together and gets the humanity out the planet. It is not that simple of a story. You are no. still going to have racism. You are still going to have extreme sexism as well. You are going to have uh, uh, people who don't believe that the uh, that the changes are going to happen. Just just like people don't believe mm-hmm. in uh, climate change today, uh, it's no different in the fifties. Uh, you will have some of the fifties Cold War era stuff fall apart because of the effects of the meteor, um, but it doesn't necessarily make international cooperation easier. And I won't say anything more because it would spoil. But it's. I think such an impressive story on the personal level of the characters, on the sociopolitical level of, of how this would affect uh, the world and on the technical level of, of, of flight and, and, and aerospace and, and uh, engineering. And uh, it's, it's an impressive piece of work. Just the, the sheer amount of, of research that she had to do for this book is astonishing and I know some of you have heard her on the Writing Excuses podcast talking a little bit about it or on The Verge. Um, but she's going to come on the show within the next couple of weeks and, and talk about it a little bit more. So we'll get up a questions thread over on Goodreads um, to make sure that we capture those in time for the interview, which will be recorded uh, next week. So if I may, could I throw out a challenge to the audience if they're reading it or going to read it? By all means. If you particularly, this is not a challenge for everybody. If you are. African American or Jewish <laughs> uh, or uh, a, a, a female engineer pilot, uh, someone in the technical fields. I really want your take in our Goodreads forum of how you think those interactions of, of those characters uh, is, is handled in this story. That's a good assignment. Um, great. Awesome. Yeah. I love, I love the book. I mean, I, I don't want to sway people too much, but yeah, I, I too. really, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I read the lady astronaut novelette first. Mm-hmm. Me too. I, um, it's a very quick read. It's a, it's very, it's almost a short story. It's just a little bit too long to be a short story. It is stunning in handling, uh, the problems of aging. Yeah. Uh, my 
you know, dealing with uh, my dad who died of a stroke, uh, my grandmother who died of Alzheimer's, uh, and 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 all of that came rushing back reading this, not in a not in a traumatic way, but in a way that made me go, yes, no, this is what that looks like from the outside, uh, because the characters are not in the greatest health and and aging, and one of them is doing better than the other, and. I thought that was handled so well. And then Calculating Stars goes back and starts when they're in their 20s. Yeah. <laughs> Same yeah. characters. It made me it made me think of this thing that someone once told me, which should be so obvious, but I think it's still difficult for people who are in like their 20s and 30s to really think about. But it's like older people are still you're you're I'm not gonna say it right, but it's like Older people are just old in their body. Like usually their uh-huh. brain is, they're still the same person in their brain yeah. for the most part. And it's just very frustrating. And that really kind of brought that home for me too. My grandma, like this short story. My grandma Roxy uh, used to say it to me. She was, she's like, I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and think, who's that old lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think this, this was, it was, it was done very well in this, in this short story. And it made me, made me feel, have a lot of feelings about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So very well done. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps up this episode, unless there's anything else you wanted to add. I did. I have a thread in here about it. Yes, you do. I did. Uh, okay. And, and this is non-spoilery, but Benji <laughs> says, I have not listened to the Vaginal Fantasy podcast, so I cannot really compare, but I do feel like this novel is very steamy, a little too steamy. And immediately several other people say, there's, there's a lot of fade to black. It's and so if you haven't started reading it yet and you're worried about that, there are not explicit sex scenes in this, but it does make a point sometimes of saying, "Hey, married people who love each other <laughs> still oh, have sex, um, Tom, and s- Tom, still Tom, like Tom, each Tom, other." Tom. So what? Tom, Tom, Tom. What? It's a joke. The book is very steamy. It's steamy because the meteor hit in the bay and That's made Tassie all the steam. No, but then, but then Benji says yes, and finally someone got the joke. <laughs> I will say, not an obvious joke. Took everyone a little bit, but I like your just perspective. Just down the rest of my arm and yard. I like I like your perspective and I like Benji's perspective. I I don't know. I suspect Benji may be making that up after he saw Tassie Dave's joke. <laughs> um yeah, totally it was a joke. Yeah, it was totally yeah, I didn't at all mean that I'm kind of a prude about older <laughs> people getting it on. No, but it, they're not even older. They're in their twenties. I'm I know. I it's But Well, I, we murdered this horse. <laughs> <laughs> we just I think it's I think it's one of the other positive qualities of this that uh, you get to see married people depicted as still active. Still sexually active <laughs> well, and in you love know, with each other. A lot of times it's always like yeah. they're either to be active, they have to be cheating or they have to be divorced or single. And this was like, oh, no, two happily married people who like each other. That's great. I like that. Not like Parker, am I right? No, not like Parker. In fact... Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I can't say anything more about that. All right. 
that wraps up the episode. Glad we got that one in at the end. Ah, the horse is alive and playing <laughs> upstate at a farm. So happy. Everything's upstate fine. Beautiful grassy knoll. <laughs> oh, well, our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. <laughs> Thank you so much to all the folks who back our show. And if you want to help us out, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. And if you want to leave us an email, the email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And please do call and leave us a voicemail, 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Steamy. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.